2: This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Well, hello. Hello. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm, I'm fine. I had a wonderful moment in the street the other day. Go on. We found on the pavement a cuddly toy uh, of one of the mascots from the 2012 Olympic Games. Do you remember the two mascots, Wenlock wow. and Wow! I think it might be quite valuable. Well, Gene is obsessed with it now. He's taking it everywhere with him. He's taking it to bed. He's getting me to show him videos of these mascots at the 2012 Games. And I find it really funny that uh, this nearly five-year-old has latched on to an anachronism. Is that an anachronism? You don't really hear of them so much these days when Locke and Mandeville. Oh. Do you think they've, uh, they've split up? Have they consciously uncoupled? I wonder whether it might be quite valuable. It's a little bit sort of mercenary of me to be thinking about that though, isn't it? A little bit. You're really showing your true colours here, Ed. I really like those
3: stories about people who sort of discover a kind of... I was reading a story the other day about somebody who discovered an incredibly famous piece of art under a mattress that they thought was sort of...
2: Was it a Caravaggio?
3: Yes. Yeah. I love those stories. I know. I think it's a sign of my sort of old age. I like stories about nature... Do you know about the billions of cicadas that are that are underground for 17 years basically and then they're coming up so these Chicadas that are suddenly going to arrive in America they've been underground for for literally 17 years they've got a whole they've got a particular breed name and they burrow for 17
2: years and then pop up They missed out on your entire leadership of the Labour Party Th- That's true actually <laughs> Uh while they are away Maybe you can run to be leader of the Chicadas.
3: <laughs> Thank you
2: um now if i said to you frittata what would you say frittata are you a frittata man i'm not i'm not great with an egg they make me a bit bilious it's it's just something about an egg will make me um dry heave i have a weird reaction which is weird because Mm. i can eat a cake and it's got an egg in it and it's fine it's something to do with the texture i couldn't eat a quiche i'll tell you where my exact borderline is is a a, a creme creme caramel can go either way but i mean points for the phrase dry heave uh
3: uh uh, uh, no i made a partly because of the easter holiday because i've had some time off for the first time in ages and so i made a tomato and white bean soup which is a new york times recipe which i strongly recommend lots of nice pieces of garlic Mm. and i made even if i say so myself jeff a pretty fandabidosi frittata and i'm soon moving on over the weekend to a persian frittata oh and what did you what did you put in it well the the original frittata was more simple it was mushrooms and spinach but i'm the persian frittata has got all kinds of like berries and herbs and stuff herbs you're not trying herbs. to run
2: before you can walk are you like the egg <laughs> uh uh why, why do you think that I just think it sounds like quite the leap from a few mushrooms to all these herbs and, and berries going into a frittata. But I've got faith in you. Sorry, that I've, I've got faith in you. I believe in you. I think you can do it. Yeah, I think I can do it. Great. Well, report back. Let us know how it goes. Go to work on an egg. I really uh-huh. wish. I really wish we could um, play Monty Python's Finland at this point, but because of copyright reasons, we can't play music on the podcast. What is Monty Python's Finland? Just a little song about Finland to get us in the mood for the episode. It's also in the uh, at the beginning of the musical Spamalot, but sadly, we're not able to use it. We could talk Moomins a little if you wanted to. I love the Moomin. Me too. One of Finland's great cultural exports, and you and I both have a collection of Moomin mugs. I've got two. How many have you got? Into the double figures. I bow to your Finnish knowledge.
3: Do you think we should talk about why we should, we're talking yeah, about you, this? Just,
2: the listeners probably think um, something's gone a bit strange <coughs> with me that I've just started talking about Finland for no reason. Go, go on, enlighten us. Uh, well, this week we're talking about... Finland! Last
3: month, the UN World Happiness Report named Finland as the world's happiest country for, Jeff, the fourth year in a row. In fact, Finland ranks in the top three or four countries in over 100 different international rankings on everything from political freedom and stability to education and literacy, to life satisfaction and well-being, to trust in the media, gender equality, and podcasts. I made that bit up. <laughs> uh, we've talked a lot about Finland uh, on the podcast before, looking at its education system, approach to attacking homelessness, flexible working, and even their strategy for tackling fake news. This week, we're, we're going one better. We're, we're just we're turning the podcast over to Finland, aren't we? We are. And, t- and asking what we can learn from Finland's overall success in such a wide range of areas. We're talking to Anu Partinen, a former Finnish journalist who moved from Helsinki to New York and then back again about why she thinks Finland and other Nordic countries are such great places to live. Then we're talking to Professor Danny Dawling and Anika Koljonen, who have written a fantastic book called Fintopia. They describe Finland as a beacon for those who think that another world is possible. And that's me and you, Jeff. And then we're absolutely delighted to be talking to the former Finnish president, Taya Halonen, who became Finland's first female head of state when she was elected back in 2000. I think she is our first president, Jeff. We've had prime ministers, but I think she is our first president. Fantastic. We'll be asking President Halonen
2: about the secret behind Finland's success. I'm so excited and we haven't even mentioned that they are the sauna champions of the world. They take the saunas very seriously.
3: Have you had a Finnish sauna?
2: I've, I've never been to Finland. I've had the Finnish style sauna experience, but never in Finland. What is the Finnish style, style sauna experience? Is it sticks? Sticks, sticks. And, then, and then sort of uh, rolling around in the snow getting very hot, rolling around in the snow, going back into the sauna again. Also, I think they invented the World Air Guitar Championships. How is your air guitar? Mm. (laughs) It needs work. Yeah. It needs work. Um, What's your reason to be cheerful, Jeff? Well, it's just a small one. I realised this week, with the combination of now having a moustache and my hair being really out of control due to lockdown, which you can't quite see because I'm wearing headphones. If I stick my tongue out, I look exactly like that photo of Albert Einstein. Watch this! I'm going to take my headphones off and show you. That is really true. I think you should post that for our
3: listeners at some point. I will. I will. How did you? Yeah. The the, the really intriguing question is how you discovered that that was the case.
1: It, Did you
2: accidentally stick your tongue out with your hair all messed up and then suddenly thought, oh, my goodness, I look like Albert Einstein? I, I wish it was an accident. I think I was just sat thinking and I thought, I wonder if I stuck my tongue out if I'd look like Albert Einstein. I mean, that is why you're such a special person, Jeff, because that would mm. never have occurred to me. That's because really. you have things going on in your life that occupy you. I'm not sure that's true. I think it's just sort of that you have a kind of <laughs> quirky, sideways look at the world. That's what they say in Radio Times. Um, what's your reason to be cheerful? Well, my reason to be cheerful is that uh, this is really,
3: this is essentially for Roger because as you know, Roger was sort of appointed by as my running coach a number of weeks ago. I thought last week since... you
2: told us that Roger's asked you to stop mentioning him on the podcast because he's uh, he be ha- disassociated he has. from he, it. He has
3: and basically my running has gone severely downhill ever since I took on Roger as a coach. I mean not <laughs> it's not cause and effect. It's basically Roger was encouraging me and I've been completely hopeless. Anyway, I'm back on the track. I've done I did two I've done two five K's in the last two days. Great. Um, in decent time, twenty-four, forty something, and then twenty-five yesterday. And I and I sort of really pushed myself yesterday to do another one. So it's sort of uh, the good news is, Roger, and to our listeners who care, that I'm I'm back and I if I said to you I'm back in the ponds.
2: I, th- I think you'd you'd had your first dip last week. Yes. Yes,
3: yes. and then I, I, I had another one. Um so I think all in all, you know, I I'm, I'm not sort of back to my full fitness. But but at least I'm you know, sort of, what's the right word? Kind of,
2: you know, I think you're probably sub Olympian, aspiring Olympian. There we go. I'll tell Jean and Mandeville. You're listening to Reasons to Be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. So
3: to set the scene on reasons to be Finnish. Uh, I'd like to say that we're joined from Helsinki by Anu Partinen, who is author of The Nordic Theory of Everything in Search of a Better Life. She's a former journalist and now director of the Nordic West Office, a think tank and consultancy. Anu, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you for
3: having me. Uh, Perhaps you could start by telling us, if you will, your story of moving from Finland to the United States and then back again.
0: I am completely Finnish. I grew up in Finland and my parents are Finnish and I went to school and I went to university in Finland. Um, I spent a year in Australia as an exchange student and then another um, year in college in, in France. But otherwise, I was pretty happy living in Finland. But then, as so often happens, I happen to meet an American man and so in my early 30s, already. Uh, I was fairly old i moved to the united states and so then i lived in in new york city in brooklyn for 10 years and um and we had a child there my daughter was born in the united states and while i was living there i wrote my book the nordic theory of everything which is comparison of the united states and the nordic countries and then eventually when our daughter was one year old we decided to move the whole family to helsinki finland partly or mostly for all the reasons I discuss in my book and that I think we're going to talk about today.
3: And how would you say your day-to-day life is different since moving back to Helsinki? Paint us a picture, which you do very well in the book, of the, 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 the way your day-to-day life you know, happens in, in, in Finland and Helsinki and uh, c- compared to what it would have been like in the US and in, in a sense describe some of your reasons for moving back.
0: Well, when people ask this of my husband, who's American, um, he always says that, well, the biggest difference is that now he can sleep at night. And so (laughs) this is, in fact, true. Literally, he used to suffer from insomnia in the United States, and now he sleeps happily through the night. And it's sort of a joke, but then not really, because I think the biggest difference is it's it's related to everyday activities, but it's also a mental difference that we really don't have to be so anxious or worry about life and future as much in Finland. And so if if you think about it in everyday terms, um, we have our child. So our child goes to a, a wonderful public, very affordable daycare center here in, in Helsinki, and we're always happy to, to walk over and take her there if we had been in the united states the daycare would cost us 10,000 20,000 30,000 a year depending where you are
2: and what do, what does very affordable look like in finland
0: oh yeah so the public daycare um in the whole country, the max payment anybody has to pay is about a little bit less than 300 euros, so about $300 more or less. That's what we pay, but it's paid for on a sliding scale. So if you make less money, then you get it for free or, or you pay less. Healthcare, of course, is another big difference. Um, we were perfectly healthy when we were in the United States, but even if you're a healthy person... You have to worry about health insurance plans. You have to figure out doctors. You have to be concerned that if you get sick, is your insurance going to cover everything? Here in Finland, it's, it's more like the UK. Of course, uh, universal health care paid through taxes. So if I'm not sick, I don't think about healthcare ever.
3: And surprisingly, you say in the book that when you were in the United States, you, am I right in saying you paid the same, if not slightly more tax than in Finland?
0: Yeah, so taxes are, of course, a really (laughs) interesting question, and people are always really interested in that. Um, So, of course, typically we tend to think that, oh, people in the Nordic countries, they pay huge amounts in taxes, and and people in the United States don't. But that's not true in every case. In the U.S., if you live in a big city, like we lived in New York City, or if you live in San Francisco or so on, You pay federal tax, you pay state tax, you pay city tax, and those actually amount to quite a bit of your income. So I had to do my taxes both to Finland and the United States for the first three years that I lived there. And so I could directly see that with my income, which wasn't that high, it was very sort of median income, I paid exactly the same or even a little bit more in New York City. Then, of course, in the Nordic countries, um, you have value added tax and so on, which is more than in the U.S. So overall, you probably end up paying more in the Nordic countries. But in the U.S., it's, it's surprising how high your taxes can be if you live in one of the big cities. And you've got this
3: really interesting argument in your book, which is you essentially are arguing that Finland is better at realizing the American dream than the United States is. Ta- tell us about that argument, because I think it will really be interesting for our listeners.
0: So, of course, first we should ask, what is the American dream? And I think uh, the American dream, of course, is sort of the ability to um, improve your lot in life, to have your children do better than you yourself. Every generation would do better and you can, through hard work, achieve things and, and, and get higher income or more, more secure um, life. And traditionally, the United States really for a long time offered this opportunity for people more than any other country. But today, if you look at any studies or, or specifically studies that look at how children born into low-income families, are they able to rise above their parents' education levels or income levels? And the Nordic countries actually do better. More children are able to do that than in the United States. And I think it's due to the way we organize society. So of course, in the Nordic countries, the idea is that the the government provides everyone with certain set of universal, what you could call social services. So we already talked about daycare and and healthcare, but on top of that, tuition-free college, uh, really world's uh, best education system by many measures for every child. Um, paid parental leave for every parent so all these policy choices contribute to actually giving more opportunity to every child and opportunity regardless of accidents of birth
2: tell us about the nordic theory of love <laughs> and, and how that underpins the, the social model in finland
0: well, this was an idea that I originally um, got from a, a few Swedish academics who called it first the Swedish theory of love. And when I read about That's what typical, they were
2: writing... That's typical Swedes. They want to take yes, all the credit for everything suits. that goes on in the Nordic region.
0: <laughs> well, in fact, they talked about the Swedish um, theory of love and it was me who immediately adopted <laughs> it to be the Nordic theory of love. And so it's this idea that the Nordics share, I think, that... Um, true love and sort of authentic, honest friendship are only possible between individuals who are independent and equal and financially independent as well. And so if you think about family, in the Nordics, people really believe that family members should not be financially dependent on one another in a sense that that one person should not be um, just staying home without any income themselves, whereas the other one earns all the money, or that children should not be completely indebted to their parents if the parents pay for their education. The idea is that the government should offer everyone certain basics of life so that people can then approach their relationships in an honest way. So this is sort of a philosophical view that really, on the other hand, underpins the the way the society is organized. And I think it's interesting in relation to children in particular, because in the Nordics, there's this strong um, thinking that children have rights regardless of what their parents want or what their parents can offer them. And so the government should make sure that all children have certain things. Uh, First of all, of course, early childhood education. So you want to have that accessible to every child Um, later in life. The fact that colleges are tuition free, that's that's. The whole point is that it's not dependent on what your parents can or want to pay.
2: There's, there's always this interest, I think, especially on the left in, in what the Nordic countries are doing and has been for a long time, but it, it feels very specific to Finland more recently. Um, what, what do you think has happened that there is such an interest in the, the Finnish way of life and the, the way that the Finns sit on top of so many different uh, global rankings?
0: Well, I think the interest really started probably 10, 15 years ago, partly just, I think, as a result of us being able to manage so much more data. And so there's been this flood of surveys that compare countries in different areas. And so when those studies started coming out in pretty much all areas of life or anything that was measured, the Nordic countries came out on top. And then as people have heard more about the Nordic countries' it has sort of become clear that they have also changed. I think often our ideas of what countries are like, our own country too, they lag behind the reality. We think about what it used to be like and we don't quite catch up with the changes. And the Nordic countries have become wealthier and it seems like right now they are in quite a unique position that they have been able to combine uh, a a wealthy economy, a capitalist or free market economy, if you will, with providing uh, fundamental social services to people and creating well-being as a result. And then when you see that
2: success then, is it surprising to you that it isn't imported, that model isn't imported by um, country. You know, the, the UK is one thing, the US is this whole other thing. But I mean, is it it just that we're slow? Are we really just looking at the Nordic countries and it's an an inevitable future in some ways, a lot of those policies or what, what else do you think is the reluctance to adopt that Nordic approach?
0: Well, I think there's a couple of things going on. One obvious one, of course, is that countries, it's complicated to change countries and then countries have such different histories and such different political realities that that what I hear, of course, after my, I wrote the book and I still get a lot of messages from people, a lot of people admire the Nordic model and they would really like to see it in their country, but they also think that it's impossible, partly because there's entrenched interests that are fighting against it or so on. Then I also think that we have these also very sort of entrenched ideas of what seems like common sense. and And one such idea, I think, is this, um, especially in the U.S., I often came across this idea that that Americans think that the Nordic model is based on on sort of welfare or charity. That it's a model where you um, that the wealthy are happy to pay taxes to provide for the poor out of the goodness of their heart, and then people feel like, well, in our country, people don't want to do that, or or uh, we're not ready to do that, or that doesn't work, or that's unsustainable. And I think that's a mistaken. Uh, a view of the Nordic model. In reality, it's a system where, where everybody pays taxes and uses the services themselves.
3: The, the the funny thing is, this is going to sound like quite a sort of techie way of describing this, but it's almost like that that Finland has found and the other Nordic countries have found a sort of stable equilibrium, where you know your universal childcare, parental leave, free school meals, etc you know, sustains a sort of certain economic model, which is, you know, based on high women's employment, high gender equality, etc. Then, you know, it sustains a political model where people feel, as you say, very, very eloquently, you know, it's not I'm giving something for somebody else, maybe that's part of it, but I'm also, you know, paying my taxes for myself. And, And it's sort of, it's a kind of feedback loop. And if you're in the feedback loop, it's quite stable, though it has challenges and one shouldn't sugarcoat it. But if you're not in that positive feedback loop, it's very hard to kind of get yourself into it. And it, it's very hard to get from where you are not to where you would like to be, I, I think.
0: Exactly. I think that is really true. It's hard to take those first steps to get there. Because you're, you're of course, thinking that, oh, I'm going to lose. People are, of course, afraid. Of, you're always afraid of what you don't know. But something that I've been thinking about a lot is uh, Americans often also ask me about whether, you know, that the country is so polarized, uh, the political views are so different. How can you ever get people together so that they would agree on creating some sort of universal service that would that would serve everyone. And of course, that's the difficulty of how to get them agreeing in the first place. But in a sense, these policies can also create unity. I do think that if you get it going, you can also bring people together when they have this sort of shared reality.
3: Final question. We have a thing on the podcast called the Jeffocracy, which is Jeff as the um, sort of benign supreme uh, ruler. Um, And he's a big... Nordic file, I think it's fair to say, Finophile as well. What's the sort of one thing you would say that we should import from Finland to get us into the positive feedback loop to, to kind of learn from the Finnish experience? What's what one thing would you choose?
0: Honestly, affordable daycare. From yeah. what I understand, this is a problem yeah. in the UK. It is. And if you want a positive loop, this would be an opportunity for all children. And for all families to have two working parents, if they so want, who both can take care of their children and be present regardless of gender. And this, of course, contributes to economy, people's employment, families, finances. I think it's it's a complete win-win. And it's a mystery to me that still, um, in many countries, people somehow think that it's not a good idea.
3: That's a really good answer. Anu Partan, your book is uh, The Nordic Theory of Everything in Search of a Better Life. It's been fascinating to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
2: We're going to speak now to the co-authors of Fintopia, what we can learn from the world's happiest country. They are Danny Dorling and Annika Kalyanen. Hello. Hi there. Hi. Now, Danny, not, not your first time on the podcast. Is is the right word finophile? Uh, it could be. Uh,
4: and uh, older p- people often talk about Finlandia, uh, uh-huh. but I, I'm not old enough for Finlandia. <laughs> but uh, Fintopia is what we decided to call the book.
2: And yeah. and how did it how did it start start for you? Uh, it was partly actually. I went and gave a talk
4: in Cambridge, uh, where Anika was a student. Uh, and I was showing lots of statistics about inequality in various European countries. And Finland does really well. Uh, and this wasn't a surprise to, to Anika, obviously. And I, I think that's where the idea started. But we were going to do a comparison of Finland and England. And uh, slowly, uh, as we did, it decided, let's just do Finland because it's much more fun and a lot less
2: depressing. Do you want to talk us through some of those rankings then be, between the two of you? Tell us which charts Finland sits at the top of.
5: Well, it started with education, I suppose. That's really when when Finland rose in the headlines and started becoming famous. And and then lately it's becoming it's recognized for a lot more as well. Trust in media, government, police. It's doing relatively well as well in terms of innovation. And intellectual property rights, even though um, the GDP growth might not be to the same standard as other Western countries, but I think that's also one of the interesting things is that it has ranked so well with happiness and other things for the past few years, even though its GDP growth might be behind that of other Western countries.
4: It's worth sort of saying that Finland does stand out, Uh, so there isn't an obvious kind of second country in the world which which scores so highly. Part of it's luck and a perfect storm. Everything came together in the right kind of way. But Finns were travelling to the United States and to England in the 1960s to look at our radical policies. Uh, And it wasn't really until the 1990s and the first international rankings of education that people in Finland began to realise actually uh, how, how well they were doing. And then it was an utter shock as more and more things get measured, just just to see how often. Over a 100 times, Finland is first, second or third in the world on a measure uh, of social progress. Somebody always, a country always has to rank highest. Uh, there's just something quite nice about the way it's happened with, with Finland, not least because unlike, say, Norway with oil or Sweden, which had an empire, it's happened to the place which did not have some na- natural advantage.
2: There's something kind of interesting in Finland compared to the other Nordic countries. In that it's it's not this sense uh, of a of a great center a, a great state and set of progressive policies that are, are being eroded. It feels like they've they've modernized uh, perhaps more than some of the other Nordic countries. Can you talk talk a bit about that?
5: Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, for example, if you look at Sweden and Finland, Sweden actually um, they're, they're they're growing. They're growing even more unequal, even though they still have a strong welfare state and strong policies. But compared to Finland, they are growing more unequal. Maybe it is because Finland used to be so poor and it had it wasn't as globally competitive as Finland, as Sweden was either. So I think it's a, it's really huge source of pride for Finns and it's become so embedded because of the universality of it. So everyone understands what they pay taxes for and they're content to do so because they understand what they get from it and they've themselves benefited from it.
3: Danny, when you compare the UK and Finland, how much of the differences do you think are to do with specific conditions of Finnish society and the differences they have from the UK and how much of them are to do with political decisions that have been made over the years. In other words, I guess that's the sort of question about how much of it is reproducible.
4: If you go back to the 1970s, the two countries were much more similar to each other in terms of income inequality levels or education. Finland still had a grammar school system. It was dismantling. We had a grammar school system. We were just beginning to dismantle in the 1960s. Uh, The question is, to what extent did what happened after that happen because of the different histories? So did Britain end up with Margaret Thatcher and everything else, partly because Britain had been the centre of a great big empire and had been very rich, and people who liked that empire worked hard to get Margaret Thatcher back into power and to make Britain great again? And to what extent did Finland end up going the right way because it didn't have, it wasn't held back, if you like, by the men meeting in clubs in Mayfair. My my optimistic feeling about human characteristics is, and you're lucky, Ed, because both you and I are young enough, it's not our fault. If if the generation above had, had tried harder in Britain, really hard, it would have had to be bloody lucky, it would have been a really tricky fight. I, th- I think in hindsight it would have been possible. We would never have realised just how knife-edge it was if, if they had, you know, created... Uh, and we were we could have been a Scandinavian country. Geographically, we fit on the arc. You know, Denmark, Iceland, Norway, you know, us. Um, so I think... But I think it was harder. And in contrast, Finland had some advantages we don't, one of which is just emigration, people leaving. So Finland had to look after the bottom quarter in particular... Uh, and look after the education of the worst-off quarter. Otherwise, they would do what their parents and grandparents had done and simply leave Finland. If you like, we've run the experiment and we've shown what happens if you go the Finnish way and what happens if you go the English way.
3: And and Danny, talk us through some of the ways in which social policy in Finland, because this is your expertise, social policy in Finland and the UK differ. I mean, just to give our listeners, you've given us a picture of how high Finland is in all the different charts but just talk us through some of the main differences.
4: Yeah some appear fairly small but things like the baby box you get in Finland is provided by the state and isn't full of goods that are advertising things to you at the point of your birth. Um, School meals have been free since the 1940s. They don't talk about free school meals you just all get food at school. Oh and in Helsinki in the summertime.
3: Education, they don't have private schools, essentially, or more Uh, or less.
4: Tiny number.
3: uh, Tiny number of private schools. Just to
4: prove how good they are, they have a few private schools to show that actually you can have a private school, but why would you need to? Um, Right. uh, But it's not just that. It's that the differences between school outcomes are the lowest in the OECD. There is nowhere else where it matters least where your child goes to school. Employment, uh, the government actually does work with the unions and so on. On, on the economy, things are tripartite, they're agreed. Housing, a deliberate strategy to go from tens of thousands of people being homeless on the streets in Helsinki a few decades ago to literally knowing the number. Is it nine people? Is it 16? What age are they? And what are their names? Uh, getting on and, and doing it, and it's very hard work, but it's, it's done determinedly.
3: I, I want to pick up on something that Annika said earlier on, which I think is quite striking and it, and it relates to the list you just gave us, Danny, which is this thing of universality. I think it might be worth spending a little bit of time talking about universality because I thought, Annika, you made a really interesting point that, you know, you might be more willing to pay your taxes if it's clear uh, all the benefits that you you sort of, you you, you know, you get from them. Um, there's this phrase that I think it was um, Richard Titmuss used, which is uh, services for the poor are poor services. Um, And, you know, talk to us a little bit, Annika and and Danny, both about universality of benefits and and other things and and their role in the system.
5: It It puts everyone in a more equal standing. Most people go to the same public schools, they eat the same meals all mothers get the maternity box. And also, in in addition to the maternity package, what's really important are are, our maternity clinics. And even if you you use private health care more, pretty much all women still go to the public maternity clinics, and that really helps keep um, infant mortality low. What these help to do is to, they they increase trust among other people, because, and then you trust the government if you believe the government is completely corrupt and your money's going to the government, you're probably not going to want to want to fund that. But if you trust your government to provide these public services, which you benefit from and your children benefit from, and your grandparents benefit from by having guaranteed pensions, then, then you're not gonna, going to be a lot more willing to pay taxes. I mean, um, if you look at a lot of the polls in the UK, a lot of people would be willing to pay more taxes for the NHS if that would mean the NHS would receive more funding, and that's a universal public service.
3: Danny?
4: Yeah, uh, Finland has, in effect, one of the highest tax rates in Europe. I think it's over 50% of GDP is is spent on public services and and taxed. But it it has all these tangential effects. So Finland has the lowest rate of organised crime in the world. Uh, And that's the kind of thing that happens when your society is well organised and people trust each other. It's very hard to start a mafia organisation in Helsinki because you won't find people desperate enough uh, to need the bribes, bribes and the money. Uh, when Anika talks about uh, the health, the crucial thing is to realise just what has been achieved. So it's the lowest rate in Europe of, of underweight babies. But a couple of years ago, Finland achieved the lowest infant mortality rate in the history of the human species. Whereas, to come back, and I really... I hate doing down England, but we have one of the worst infant mortality rates in Europe we're far worse than France and Germany and Italy and Spain uh, I think twenty countries in Europe are better than the u k but we don't even know it you know now Finnish people often complain about hearing how good things are, but at least they know they're good we we don't know we bank so lowly on on these measures
3: look you you've said lots of good things about Finland but we can't just say everything is perfect in Finland, right? We've got okay, you've got to each give us one I know it's hard. You've got to each give us one bad thing about Finland. Or not bad thing about Finland, but one problem or challenge that Finland hasn't tackled and needs to tackle.
5: I mean Finland faces all of the problems that other countries do and one of the the biggest ones is that it has an aging population and it desperately needs new people to come into Finland and even if the fertility rate would magically rise, it wouldn't be fast enough to get more people into the workforce. Um, But integration is difficult in Finland. Um, A lot more flexibility is needed in terms of getting international students to stay. There's, of course, a lot of institutional racism that isn't talked enough about in Finland. Um, There has been more discussion of it. I think the first book on the whitewashing of Finnish history is coming out soon, but it's become subdued again now overshadowed by the pandemic again but there is a lot to be done in terms of institutional racism and increasing acceptance of non-native Finns in Finland they are desperately needed and it's simply just humane.
4: Danny? Uh, The existence and success of a populist political party so we talk a lot about the incredible alliance of five political parties and five women in charge of Finland and it's wonderful you know a a left party a social democrat party a green party and, and but each of those five are less popular than the Finns. They, it's not the same, A, because they're not completely for Brexit or uh, what, it, whatever it would be, but the Finns party, this populist right party, this party tinged with a bit of racism. But the amazing thing is that everything can go so right in a place, but you still have a political party that the old vote for out of fear of change out of fear of being told that climate change is coming. and It's an anti-climate change party, out of fear of immigrants, even in a country with such low immigration as Finland. But the very fact it exists tells you, at least if you're English, that this is an international thing that has occurred everywhere. Uh, populist parties supported by the old uh, who are worried about change, are worried about what's happening, and... Uh, I don't know how Finland's going to deal with this because they can't get rid of their populist party by doing better in terms of policy because you can't do better in terms of policy than Finland's currently doing. So they're going to have to find a way to say, you know, this is as good as it gets in the world. To me, it's fascinating. I I was absolutely shocked uh, to see the strength of that that one political party in Finland.
3: Let's ask the Jeffocracy question to finish with. Uh, no, no pun intended um you've got you've got one Finnish policy that you can implement. Jeff is a hands off ruler. I am, as he often reminds me his puppet prime minister um he He's just gonna do what you tell him. Anika, do you want to start
5: I think free school meals um that that was that might be an obvious chance of answer, but I mean it was one of the first first universal policies that that Finland implemented, I think starting during the the second world War and i mean i think we've seen massive need for that in the in the past year it's been heavily debated and but there's really there's been great community action also in the uk in support of this
3: that's a really interesting choice Annika, and that's universal free school meals for all kids and why is that your choice
5: you know it, it's one of those universal policies that that will help to provide a more equal standing for everyone, and think about um, targeted policies in in societies in particular that emphasise individuality, is that they really increase stigmatisation against the the people who end up taking taking upon those those benefits, and it's and it's so important to just start with with children, especially. I mean, during the pandemic, they've suffered immensely.
3: That's a really good
4: choice, Danny. Family-friendly working hours. Uh, another thing that shocked me was Finland has the h- highest proportion of people who choose when they work. The statistics from the OECD break it down. And it's not just people with a degree, a university degree, who can choose when they work. Uh, it's also people with lowest school qualifications um, have the highest degree of flexibility about hours of work in all of the OECD compared to equivalents.
3: Very interesting. Um. Well, look, You've been, both of you, incredibly uh, informative. The book is Fintopia, uh, What We Can Learn from the World's Happiest Country. Uh, Danny Dawling and Annika Collynan, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you ever so Thank much. you.
3: Well, I'm delighted now to say that to talk, to top off our uh, podcast, we have our first president uh, that we have interviewed on our podcast, President Taja Halonen, who was president of Finland between 2000 and 2012. President Halonen, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Oh, it's just a joy for me. It's very nice to hear your voices.
3: It's so nice to have the chance to talk to you. Let me ask you the first question, which we've discussed with our guests a little bit. Why do you think Finland continues to be named the happiest country in the world now for the fourth year in a row
1: so it was a surprise for us uh, with the first time i remember when we received this message first time and when somebody asked it in finland from the uh, man of the street they said that what we happiest are all the others so miserable uh, <laughs> so i mean that uh, it was a surprise for us we think that uh, happiness is something that people either feel or not but Uh, how you can measure it. But uh, if I take it more seriously, I think so that um, it tells us that money is important. I don't say that. Money is important for the individual. It's also the financial resources for the state is important. But it's not all. It's not all. Uh, People also try to feel that whether, whether the situation is, according to the circumstances, whether it's fair or not. And that's why the welfare state, seems to also to give possibilities for the people to be happy. Because they are not happy in such a joyful way, but they are in such a way that um, the society, our common support, is available in the situation where you normally become very sad, very sorry. Like you are unemployed, you are sick, uh, Somebody of your, your dearest ones will die, or something, this kind of the things. Or another way around that if you want to build uh, a better future for your children uh, or find these kind of the opportunities, that you have the realistic feeling that you can do that. And that's why I would say that welfare state is a good start and and people understand it that's why they don't love taxation not really they don't love it whatever is the reason for taxation but they understand it
3: and what lessons and i know you you don't want to tell us what to do in the uk but <laughs> but what 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 lessons do you think finland offers a country like um like ours because you know you've had the success in the happiness uh, index all of the charts, not just on happiness, but on a whole range of things: education, uh, you know, well-being, or d- d- the whole range of indicators. You do very, very well. What lessons do you think it 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 gives for us, and indeed for other countries?
1: Americans, they they like to say that somebody fr- can do their life from rags to riches. But uh, we would say that even the poor country and the poor society with the hard will, a little bit good luck of course we all need and uh, and so the solidarity you can create a good system. We we haven't had such kind of the uh, benefits what you have had in the in the past. But um, we as the last one from the Nordic, uh, the Nordic countries, we, we succeeded to create the uh, welfare state. So I think that small Nordic countries fight together uh, and some other like-minded can show to you that you have the resources, you have fantastic resources. Uh, so why not to take a second start?
2: I wanted to ask you, uh, when, when we think of a president, maybe we're thinking of somebody wearing a, a Rolex Watch <laughs> now,
1: famously, you would is that still do you still wear a watch with the Moomin's? Um, not this is now with the big, big uh red figures. We have all those movies, yes. I just told to my university trainer here, I, I, I said to her that do you know what's what's common with you and us? And then I told her about the movies.
2: I love the Moomin's, and I know that part of the reason you wore that watch was to promote Finnish culture, and export Finland, wherever you, you went. Is there anything else? Is there something maybe we don't know about, uh, a, a little corner of Finnish culture or Finnish life that you think uh, we'd, we'd do well to adopt here in the UK? Um,
1: <laughs> I don't propose you to adopt it, but I think that when you are think that we are just the country of the mummies and, and, and so... Uh, um, everything nice, the nature and the lakes and forests and, and all that. But um, this is also the country of the heavy metal music for I was telling you, are, I was
2: telling Ed, you're the air guitar champions of the world.
1: Yeah, yeah. so yeah, also that.
2: Well, look, President
3: Halladen, we've met before, but it's been great to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you and, and really great hugs to you and, and I'm sure we will meet tomorrow in the future.
3: Right, well, look, you are the
2: arch-Nordic file. So what did you think? Well, I very much enjoyed hearing more about Finland because Sweden is my purview, usually. Um, I I just find it so strange that these countries are so close to us geographically and, you know, in, in some ways life is so similar. And yet we, we don't look at how they're doing things, how yeah. they you know, manage to come top of these different rankings. Think, think about it. If, if there were businesses performing as well as these Nordic countries perform, like representatives from every other business would be going there and try to find out how do you do it and implementing it. Why don't we do that with countries? It's crazy.
3: That's a really interesting idea. There was so much that struck me about the conversations that we had uh, and the interviews we did. I mean, one thing that really struck me was the point that Anu made that this isn't just about altruism, this is about self-interest. In other words, the way it's portrayed can be this is sort of, you know, caring about people less fortunate than you, caring about poverty. It is, of course, about that, but it's much more complicated than that or or, or it's something else. I mean, she's sort of saying it's self-interest. I mean, that's not a bad thing. No. It's all sort of self-interest plus altruism is basically the thing, isn't it? And what's self-interest and what kind of country you want to live in?
2: Yeah. Like, you know, do, do you want a level of education for your children? Do you want to, you know, be free of fear of uh, crime or, or- organised crime? All those things. It's not just about lifting people up. And then the other thing I suppose that strikes me is we often... This is why it's good to do these country episodes... We often talk about
3: these policies as let's look at parental leave from uh, Finland, and it's this interlocking nature of the different policies which sort of reinforce each other somehow. That it's almost like you can look at them in isolation, but but you lose something without understanding the way that they interact with each other. So you. Universal childcare supports your gender equality, supports your high levels of female employment, supports your economy, which in turn supports your,
2: you know, paying for your universal childcare and so on. You know what I mean? The way that that then gives some kind of cohesive sense of identity. So if you are the country that really values uh, childcare and gender equality and making sure that if both parents want to be in the workforce that's done for them, that's something that binds people together. And, yeah, you know, we, we see that here with the NHS and there's no reason that if the decision was made to be bold on something yeah. like that, yeah. you know, something like paternity or maternity or childcare policies we see in the Nordic countries, our version of that, couldn't be something that that unifies people. I think it's a
3: really good point you just made. It's also a sort of anti-fatalism thing, isn't it? That, Mm. That, you know, Danny was saying, you know, in the 1970s, maybe Finland and Britain weren't that different. You know, we made the institutions... We can remake
2: them. Reasons to be cheerful, a podcast about ideas with Ed
0: Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax,
1: and think about
0: work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which
3: if you've got thoughts on what you've heard on today's program about finland or ideas for future episodes we'd love to hear from you uh we we read all the emails we get we read out the nice ones we we love hearing from you and we love praise um uh, this is very affirming Uh, You can find us at cheerfulpodcast.com where you can find lots of material about the show, go deeper uh, into it. In fact, I actually was doing a cycle ride this week and I met some uh, uh, parents of a friend of mine and they was saying to me that they'd uh, listened to one of the recent episodes and and then wanted to read deeper into it so it's all there isn't yeah, it? Yeah we
2: are happy to be the gateway to the extensive research that Joel prepares for us you can access all that on the website cheerfulpodcast.com. This comes from Sue Cooper. The subject line is the right to play for adults. Uh, yes. Sue says I really enjoyed the podcast Sue. about the right to play but what really no, saddens me, yeah, is the uh, the fact that when we talk or think about play, we generally only think about children and young people. I'm 63 and still enjoy playing when I allow myself to. I recently started to use the play equipment at my local recreation ground early in the morning when there aren't many people around to see me, and I'm loving the freedom of climbing and sliding, and particularly like the large plastic plate. That you can lay in or stand on and swing. In recent years at Glastonbury, I've played as part of the collective parachute game and have played body surfing without a board in the waves in Western Greece. Meanwhile, my friend Di, who's my age, keenly grabs her plastic sledge and gets out on her local hill as soon as it snows. I suspect that we may all be a bit happier as adults if we thought that play was something for us as well as children real freedom and abandonment. This is making me think we should frolic more. We should go and frolic. I want to be
3: Sue's friend, don't you?
2: Absolutely. I want to play the parachute game with Sue.
3: Sue sounds great. Sue sounds great. I mean, typical of our listeners, but Sue sounds great. So does Steve Reeves. Uh, He's emailed in about cold showers. I love swimming all year round in the sea off Brighton at least once a week. Cannot abide cold showers, though. I get the feeling that the immersive experience of getting into water rather than having it splashing on you is why cold waters are a horrid experience. Better than a shower, maybe try an immersive cold bath. Um, now we've actually had, had a plumbing issue, so we are in cold bath territory.
2: You've got no hot but water.
3: I'm, well, we seem to have hot water in the shower, but not the bath. But the the I'm not a bath person. I'm afraid. So I'm uh, and and to be honest. The cold showers, I kind of... I reluctantly... I've reluctantly sort of ended up in a Steve Reeves position, really.
2: Send us your ideas or suggest a guest for a future episode. Email reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com Find us on Facebook or tweet at cheerfulpodcast. Hey, I was going to ask you, because this is sort of
3: the end of the show, and by the end of the show was my thoughts always turned to the weekend. I mean... I am so hooked on Line of Duty. I mean, I am waiting for nine o'clock on a Sunday night. I know. are you? I am. It's basically, we were very late adopters after they'd already done five series. And and then, I think you probably remember this, I met um, Ted Hastings, Adrian Dunbar.
2: Yes, of course. On my,
3: on my way to the BBC. And basically, that made me sort of much more hooked.
2: Did he, uh, did he express any strong opinions about Ben Copper's? I just said I just saw him and I said you're brilliant. Um, and then I had a selfie with him. Did he say you're brilliant
3: back? He said, "Who are you exactly?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, didn't you used to be something? <laughs> uh, uh, didn't you used to be famous? Um, a little bit. Uh, no, he, he was he was nice, but um, I I feel like it's a bit late now because I've already recorded series six, but presumably. But I I, I need it. We need a bit more. You know, what's his phrase? We'll be sucking diesel for you. Yeah, sucking sucking diesel. Yeah. Sucking diesel. Yeah.
2: Uh, and also Unforgotten. Do you know Unforgotten? No, but a few people have said to me that they've uh, latterly got into it and they're absolutely hooked on it. It's really good. Honestly, it's like about, I think it's about cold cases that this
3: detective investigates and she's really good. Are you for the full release all at once thing? for binging or are you for the week by week because i think it's a divide in my household which is that i'm for the which is sort of surprising and sort of not surprising maybe i'm for the instant gratification
2: i want it all at once able to watch and justine likes the like week by week i would much rather binge something but what i can't do is save it up just in case i see spoilers on social media so you would rather you'd, you'd rather it was all released at once yeah
3: should we thank our guests?
2: Yes. I'd like
3: to thank our guests. Anna Partinen, Danny Dawling, Anika Collynan, and President Taya
2: Halanen. Emma Caution produces our podcast. All the research, all the guest booking, all this rounding up of fins has been done by Joel Pierce. With backup from Joe Kenyon at Goldfish London. Also, a big shout out and a hello to our friends at Left Foot Forward. Hello! Gail Lofthouse is our announcer. Ed Seed composed the music. James Deacon made our eye dance and our artwork was designed by... Henry Cole. He's been flying. He's been Finn. And these have been Reasons to be Finnish.